the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. the Worldview Media Podcast. My name is Gordon Runyon. I'm your host, and I'm joined here by my wife, Joyce, a woman who could never be mistaken for a robot. (laughs) True. (laughs) And this is the podcast on the Reconstructionist Radio Network, where we actually start talking about what does it mean to take dominion in the area of arts and entertainment. Uh, recons in general, we're good about saying that, you know, the law of God and the dominion of Christ should be in every area. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about things like law and politics and you know, uh, business and family and how we do all of these things and how we apply the law to it. And we mention it should also be about arts and entertainment. Well, it goes back to all yeah aspects and so we we always do mention that arts should be involved but we don't do it a lot of talking about what that would actually look like yeah you know it's a lot easier to talk about politics and government and stuff like that and so here's the show where we talk about media and storytelling and entertainment we're here today to talk about an independent movie that we were able to watch via Amazon Prime as yeah. we took a <laughs> on a flight as we were flying back from Florida and this independent movie it wasn't promoted very well because you know there it's an independent movie yeah. there's not a lot of money behind it and the name of the movie is Ex Machina now it comes from the Latin phrase Deus ex machina. And it is permissible, according to Merriam Webster, to call it ex machina and not machina. But nice. I've always <laughs> I've always gone with machina because it sounds more pretentious and more proper. And I'm all about that. <laughs> so yeah, what yeah. this is an interesting phrase. In the Greek dramas it was common for them to end the play by zapping in one of the Greek gods into the middle of the play. Mm-hmm. And things that, you know, the plot had gone as far as it was going to go and things were hopelessly tangled. And then the, the the god would drop in and set everything straight. Well, they would do what they would do. <laughs> right. Yeah, they would end it however they were going to end it. Yeah. Now, the the phrase comes from the fact that they had a little crane sort of machine that would lower the actor who oh, was nice. playing the god. So that it really looked... Yeah, so he'd actually drop in from the sky onto the stage. I see. And so the literal translation for Deus Ex Machina is God from Machine. Huh. Okay. Yeah, and... Uh, and so that might begin to make it more plain why the uh, abbreviated Ex Machina was the uh, title. title of this movie. 
because that's kind of what they're talking about mm. in a in a way. Yeah. Anyway, and and so that was the original etymology of the phrase Deus ex machina. But it came to mean later any kind of device in storytelling where the author kind of gets himself painted into a corner at the end and can't really figure out how to undo work his things mess. out. Yeah. And suddenly, and so you drop in a solution as if out of nowhere, a solution that nobody was looking for or could mm -hmm. see. And that's generally been thought of to be a, a really bad way to tell a story. <laughs> to resolve things. <laughs> yeah, we've kind of talked about that here. That yeah. When you work on a plot, you want to have the solution come about organically and naturally. Yeah, okay. So that kind of explains the title. Mm -hmm. Now the story is about, and I've forgotten all the names already. I remember the name of the robot that we'll talk about, but it's a pretty simple story. And Few characters, not a whole lot. Yeah, not a grand cast or anything. Yeah. But the story is that you have a kind of a low-level computer programmer working for a gigantic uh, corporation tech company. Yeah. And he gets invited to go spend a week at the house that's owned by the owner of the company. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call the good guy Gary. So. <laughs> Gary G Gary goes for good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Gary the programmer goes to the house of Blake the bad guy. Ah, very nice. And so the bad guy got rich apparently creating a search engine uh, program that revolutionized the internet and all that. So he has this house that's out in the middle of nowhere. It's remote. <clears throat> and... Fortress. By the way, the cinematography there was really pretty. Yeah. The land that it's in. I looked it up and found out it's actually on property owned by a hotel in Norway. In is, Norway. Yeah, is where really? it was shot. Some of the mountains kind of remind me a little bit of maybe Hawaii type. Oh. Oh, I, I didn't get that, but. Well, just the mountains. And then as you came in, you know, of course, it was different. You oh, know, just the sharp. There were waterfalls and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, the sharp mountains in okay. Norway. Interesting. Okay, so that was one positive thing the movie had going for it is really a beautiful, beautifully shot in terms of all its outdoor scenes yeah. and all of that. Okay, so Gary is invited by Blake to spend a week at Blake's house and... Well, he wins a prize. Supposedly, yes. right. And I'm going to try not to reveal a lot of spoilers and all that, so... Uh, Blake reveals to him at first that the reason he's brought him there is he's going to help him decide whether or not he has succeeded in creating artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And what he wants him to do is implement what's called a Turing test. And remember, we did the podcast on uh, the imitation game mm -hmm. and, and uh, Turing, the guy that was in that. And the test was... That, or the way they explained it is that the test is that if you create a machine and you can't tell you're dealing with a machine but you think you could possibly be dealing with a human, mm -hmm. then you've created artificial intelligence or whatever. Depending on how you look upon it. Right. And so, the whole rest of the movie is Gary, the good guy, dealing... 
dealing off and on with Blake, the bad guy, mm -hmm. who right from the beginning seems to be a, a guy who is an evil genius and always seems to be a step or two ahead of what Gary is thinking or doing. Mm -hmm. And obviously from the beginning has something to hide. And so Gary's dealing with Blake, but he's also dealing with the robot that Blake is testing for artificial intelligence. And it's a robot he's designed to look like a female. Well, sort of, but you know, it's not, you can still tell that it's not real. Oh, by sure. Looking at it. Right. it has, you know, a regular face. She doesn't face. have skin all over yeah. her and stuff. Her face like is good, yeah. but definitely you can see that this is an artificial. Yeah. And her name is Eva. Now, what I thought about... I thought it was Ava. Ava? Well, okay, E-V-A. I don't know how you want to pronounce it. So, I thought about... Was that, was that name meant to refer back to Eve of Adam and Eve? Mm -hmm. But the other thing that occurred to me is Ava Braun was the wife of Hitler. And so it kind of made me wonder if maybe there wasn't symbolism there, too, that she's the, she's the woman that's you know, uh, created by Blake. Maybe he's a Hitler type of guy or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so the plot of the movie centers around the fact that Gary really begins to think that Ava is uh, sentient and that she she's self-aware as a person and and also that Blake may not have really good intentions toward her mm -hmm. and and she may be in danger and he in a weird way feels like maybe he's falling in love with this robot girl and and so hilarity ensues well no, that's, <laughs> no it wasn't a comedy <laughs> no, no that's where the suspense and the tension comes because Blake kind of proves all the way along the line like I say that he's thinking a few steps ahead yeah, when he comes in and questions else. him and says well what about this and he says well I don't know what about this and so yeah and he's got an answer for everything that yeah. Gary thinks is might be wrong and and all that uh there were a couple of things that I liked about the storytelling, and you can tell me whether or not you agree, but I liked that it was ambitious enough to really begin to ask questions about, and, and not explicitly, but the whole story is asking the question about what does it mean to be a person, yeah, and what does it mean to be self-aware, and where does, where does consciousness come from, and... Uh, and then the fact that they were willing to play with that and actually tell a story around that, and they were willing to do it at a at a speed and a pace that's not very commercial these days. I read online that the reason one of the reasons it was done independently is because the creator of the show was already hearing from commercial. The big movie companies. Yeah, the industry. Yeah, that they wanted them to punch it up a little bit with some action sequences and stuff like that. And then it's just not that kind of movie. Yeah, I was and, thinking, uh, <laughs> Yeah, how would you that? even do that? <laughs> how do you incorporate that into The movie, movie is really more like a chess game than it is like a video game, you know? Yeah. And it's not a first-person well, shooter. It's, and it's all <laughs> self-contained, too. So, I mean, you don't have a lot of 
outside interaction with anybody. Yeah, you'd have to it's, create whole new characters and yeah, stuff to it, come up with. It would completely action. change the dynamic of of the movie. Right, right. And so I appreciated that they were willing to at least talk about those things, and and I like the fact that Blake was a, an evil genius. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's always good storytelling when your villain is obviously more powerful and more formidable than your hero. Because, you know, like we talked a little bit ago when we were talking about Dean Koontz and his book on writing. Mm-hmm. You can't make it, his advice was you should always make it tough on your hero. And uh, one of the worst things you can do is have a hero who is obviously way more powerful than the villain that he's yeah, being threatened by. Yeah, there's no by. tension in the story uh, right, then. Right, right. Oh, by the way, sidetrack. This is where this is my vote for why Star Trek Voyager was terrible is because they, <laughs> they didn't really have a consistent villain that was stronger than than they were, and that's why toward the end of the series, what they do, they started importing the Borg suddenly because they needed a big bad villain, yeah. and they tried. Early on in that series, they tried to have uh, Voyager constantly interacting with a group of bad guys that were lower technology than the Federation and were really no real threat to them. And, you know, that went over like a lead balloon. That's just, how's that even going to be dramatic? Yeah. So you really got to have a strong villain. and, And our bad guy in this movie seemed to me to fit that bill. He really did seem like he was thinking moves ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, the the problem that I had with it is that there's a major, major plot twist that happens right at the very end where Ava does something uh, pretty radical that had not been set up at all before that. You know... I I would accept her decision and what she did at the very end, what she did to Gary specifically. Mm -hmm. I would accept her decision to do that if it had been set up at all, but it really had not. Well, but I think you had uh, Blake, you know, when it finally all came down to the end and he was saying, you know, I record these things. I know what you guys talk about. And, uh, what if this was the situation instead? Right. And then I think that is plausible then for her her actions, that in order for her to be able to survive, yeah. that's what it was about. So he was playing them both is what it seemed like to me. I tell the machine this, I tell you this, and I see how those interactions between the two of you then bring out this result. Yeah. And I don't think it's what he was expecting either. (laughs) Right. He did hold that out as a possibility, but I don't think that any of anything that we saw with Ava, I don't think anything that we knew about her at that point set that up. Uh, Well, but if, if that's really what he did, then I think then what she did was plausible. If he presented the situation to the machine and said, I'm going to bring in a person 
and this is what your objective is. Yeah. Then, you know, however this machine does that to the to get to the end point, you know, he was saying, well, how do you know that she's not being manipulative? How do you know that she's not being forthcoming? How do you know that this isn't what I have set up to begin with? And where you thought you were the person in here to determine this, you really, yeah, that wasn't what it was about. Well, it still struck me as surprising a little bit. Well, kind and I, of, I think it's supposed to, field. you know. Yeah. You know, I think that's the whole twist there at the end is that you're sure. like. Yeah. Oh, I know it was meant to be kind of a shocking twist, but I almost felt like it was a deus ex machina. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of dropping in out of nowhere. But uh, I don't know. I can... We'll talk about that in, in just a little bit. Let's take our break and then we'll come back and and we'll run ex machina through the lens of the five point biblical covenant and that's what we do so we'll be right back the reconstructionist radio podcast network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology our desire is not simply that you consume our shows but that you also live out your faith in every area of life We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. And we're back. We're talking about Ex Machina, a little... uh independently made science fiction movie that you can, I think you can stream it on Netflix or Amazon Prime. And we want to start talking about the five-point biblical covenant. Now, the first point is sovereignty. And in the Bible, we see the first point of the covenant generally illustrated by referring to God's uh or the first point is transcendence, I said sovereignty. But transcendence and sovereignty are certainly related in the Bible. So God's transcendence is generally shown by referring to his sovereignty over all things. And and the fact that he's the rule giver, the lawmaker, and the creator and the redeemer. And so when we get to these movies, we want to ask, who who is that? in this movie who does the movie show as being the ultimate source of authority or the ultimate creator and i feel like this movie kind of addressed that head on it was mm-hmm. one of the questions they had at one point the issue was just brought out in the open where gary suggested to blake uh if you've created a person then that kind of 
that's kind of a, a god-like thing to do or or that's how blake took his yeah his words and blake actually seemed like he enjoyed the idea that by creating a self-aware machine that he was proving himself to be transcendent yeah. in, in his genius or inventive abilities or whatever and so i thought that was interesting uh but generally speaking the whole rest of the movie was based obviously on materialistic uh naturalistic atheistic evolution and i think that's what i think well we uh, i'm not sure where to talk about this but it seems natural here i think that although the movie was brave enough to talk about what exactly does it mean to be self-aware and, mm -hmm. and all of that and to be sentient? I don't think the atheist really has the tools in his quiver to be able to really hit address. the mark on that. Because, and this is what the movie ran into, is if human beings, if our self-awareness and our sentience our sense of personhood, if that's all just a result of the fact that our brains have evolved into these really advanced computers, basically, mm -hmm. then, then the question becomes just an issue of programming to decide when you've made a person and when you've just made a more advanced computer. Uh, and so... And I think this is a problem that atheism has in general. How do you define what it means to be a person? How do you define the mind of a person? Is it is it the same as just the chemical reactions going on in your head that, that we call thoughts? Mm. And atheism really doesn't have an answer for that, except it's the programming. It's how you're wired. And, and so it's a very materialistic view of what it means to be a person or to have a mind or to be self-aware yeah. it, it it only represents uh machinery in motion and and really advanced programming and and then it becomes self-contradictory because you're speculating on the one hand that human brains have evolved personhood without any intelligent guidance to that process and yet here we are as intelligent beings and struggling very hard to recreate that sort of thing in a in a in a machine yeah and so uh to me you're admitting on the one hand it takes a really big brain to make artificial intelligence but it took no brain at all to make natural intelligence <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah so and 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 so I think that's one place where the movie kind of falls short and it has to because of its presuppositions because it has no way of defining what a person is. Mm -hmm. And on the atheistic scale of things, oh, this occurred to me as well. The ancient pagan way of viewing uh, all of humanity and their gods, the ancient pagan concept is what we call uh, unity of being or oneness of being and what they meant was that the lowliest human and the mightiest god in their pantheon are all the same sort of being they're just 
one happens to be in a place in a state where he's got more power than this other one. So the slave to the slave owner to the uh, priest to the to the priest king to the gods themselves, it's all a unity of being. We're and and we talk about this a lot. You take a, myth, a class on Greek mythology. And one of the things that will be pointed out is that the Greek gods are basically just humans with more power. You yeah. Know? And, and that's how pagans viewed all of reality, this oneness or unity of being. And it occurs to me that that's where this movie winds up, starting at naturalistic, materialistic atheism mm-hmm. and, and given uh, unguided evolution now you wind up with this uniformity of being and and the and the question becomes unclear about when does a machine actually become a person because a person is just a conglomeration of cells and certain activities of chemicals and mm. and mechanics and so if you can create that artificially then what really separates that machine from the human and so I think atheism is in a in a spot right there, trying to figure out. And, and frankly, we're gonna see. I b- believe we're gonna see this discussion carried on in movies, and there's it's already been. But I think it's gonna increase as our technology increases, and and we do move toward what the atheists at least are calling artificial intelligence. Yeah, I really felt like that TV show, The Person of Interest. You know they. Oh yeah. They were exploring the same issues. Uh, they didn't take as much time to think about it and stuff like that. But. <laughs> uh, and I think we'll see more of that. The whole Terminator series is based on the same thing. Well, and as as we have technology advance, where you can talk to your phone and ask it questions and have it respond right. to you in different voices and whatever you know that. Right. That yeah, that's a something people are going to say. Well, when does this just become more than a nap. <laughs> right, right. And then the issue, this is more ethics, but then the issue becomes, let's say you do say that this machine that you've created has become a self-aware person, then what are your moral obligations toward that person? Do you have any at all? Mm-hmm. And of course, given atheism... There, is, there, there are no moral obligations, and so it's all a very contradictory and, and fuzzy thing. So sovereignty in this movie was really based on uh, Blake and his ability to create what wound up being a person in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh the second point of the biblical covenant is representation or hierarchy, saying who represents the king, who is his agent, who speaks for him. And we ask the question, which character in this work of fiction best represents the transcendence that's in the worldview? And I think it has, for my for my thinking about it, I think both Gary and Blake represent it. Because they both kind of have the same presuppositions about reality and, and what it is. and But there's like a good guy and a bad guy. You know, there's a yeah. G and a B and they re, they approach the same questions from, from maybe different angles. But 
Blake obviously represents this idea and it really kind of it's a modern Frankenstein story where he's assuming the mantle of God the creator and he's yeah. going to make these things then, so if he is the one that's transcendent, how is he also the representative of his transcendence? Well, I'm saying that transcendence, it's uh, its man's ability to create. and So the transcendent principle is that unity of being and that eventually man climbs up the ladder far enough that he becomes like a god to things lower down on the, on the ladder. And Blake represents that, I think. And he began, you know, he was kind of entertaining the thought that, hey, maybe I really am a god. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure he did. Yeah. <laughs> Very prideful. <laughs> yeah. And so then the third point of the covenant is ethics. And we already kind of touched on that because... And, and the question we ask is, what moral dilemmas are faced by our characters? And that's kind of the whole point of the story, is that the good guy, Gary, has to figure out what are my responsibilities in this situation. If I believe that this machine has achieved self-awareness or mm -hmm. AI, then does that obligate me to act toward her in some particular in way? way? Then you would just a computer on the, right. on the table. So... It seemed to me at one point that perhaps this experiment had happened previously. Oh, yeah, a lot of times. And so it made me wonder then, you know, what was the thing that happened to whoever had been there, like Gary had been there previously. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it, it kind of gives you the impression that, well, maybe this has happened more than just this time. Right. And so um, is... Blake the bad guy just refining things yeah, is yeah. the other the other winner just released <laughs> into the wild I mean I think I had some questions where is he there buried with, in the backyard yeah, you know because it's a remote place nobody knows nothing well I thought it was really interesting <clears throat> you talking in that line I think Gary was thinking along those same lines at one point and he uh he actually had this shocking thought maybe maybe he's already killed me and transferred my brain stuff to a computer and mm -hmm. maybe I'm the AI and so he went in and you know cut open his own arm to make sure it was still flesh and blood and stuff like that yeah and by the time he said that I was kind of sitting there thinking oh wait a second who's, <laughs> who's, who? <laughs> who's the real robot here yeah so that was neat that I kind of had this idea going through my mind oh wait the twist is going to be that you know, scary. like in that I see dead people movie. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> you're trying to prove she's an AI, but you're the AI. I thought that was going to be it. But yeah, so that that question comes out. If a, if a computer is thinking, then does that ob obligate you morally toward that computer? And from a biblical standpoint, I don't think that that could even be. I don't think that could even be broached because biblical law is all based on love of God and love of neighbor. Mm -hmm. And specifically, the Bible's definition of a person would have to take into account a man or a woman who's been created in the image of God. And it's that, it's that imago Dei, that 
that image of God that that then obligates us to respect that person made in the image of God by keeping the law toward that person and doing no harm to that person. I am not allowed to murder, but murder means killing a man made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. That that same law doesn't prevent me from slaughtering a cow in order to eat the meat or take the leather or, or something like that. And so, biblically speaking, the law is about how people relate to God and to each other. Yeah. And so you make a machine... Uh, the thought of having moral obligations toward the machine is a is a ridiculous bit of fantasy that only an atheist could come up with. You know, it's just it's uh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but the other thing I've thought of, I <clears throat> I had in mind one time writing a story about a about an AI machine that went off the rails, mm-hmm. almost Terminator like. But I was going to explore the fact. It was going to be based on a teaching that Dr. Bonson was big on, and his idea was that every decision that we make is, at bottom, a moral decision. That there are no decisions we make that are not moral. Yeah. And uh, at first, that may sound crazy. You're telling me that if I eat cereal for breakfast and not bacon and eggs, that that's a moral decision? And yeah, because... In that decision, you are assigning value to both of those options. Yeah. And assigning value to a thing is a moral thing to do. Or if I choose to have a candy bar, that's a moral decision because I'm weighing the fact, well, candy bars aren't really good for you, but I enjoy <laughs> a candy bar now and then. And yeah. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So is... Doing something that's bad for my health, is that worse than depriving myself of this tasty bit of chocolate or something like that? And so every decision we make is moral. Every Everything that's argued politically is a moral thing. Yeah. And every moral decision, therefore, is governed by the authority of Scripture. And so my idea was to... Well, it has to be because morality is a issue of right and wrong. And sure. Where do you get right and wrong from? If, Absolutely. Not from the person. That's the only place it can yeah. come from is from God. Mm-hmm. And so my idea was to have an AI who went off the rails simply because the programmers, the people who made, made its decision-making capacity had no idea where morality comes from and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and so that was going to be, that was going to be a, a feature of that story. And I still think that's true. If you, if you're going to make computers able to make, uh, autonomous choices, you're going to have to tell those computers what they're basing it what on. is valuable and what is not valuable. Mm-hmm. You can make a chess playing computer and it has what thousands of movement options open to it at every move. Mm-hmm. But you've told it the move to take is the one that uh you can calculate the odds and see it's a better move, yeah. you know, it's more likely to cause you to win the game at the end. So you've given it that 
Well, it has its parameters. Right. You've given it that criteria. But if you if you design a robot and you say, okay, walk down the street wherever you want to go, uh, you're going to have to... Put more information than that in there. Sure. Yeah. And, well, maybe you could just make it random. Mm. Well, then it's not thinking. Then it's just acting randomly. You know, so I really believe that artificial intelligence is going to flounder and not get anywhere if if people who are writing programs don't come to an understanding that, like I say, every decision is moral. So that's an interesting thing to think about. And, and yeah, that is. And I, I don't think most people would look at the decision-making process in that manner. But, you know, when you break it down, yeah, that's really... Yeah, well, I didn't break it down. That was Dr. Bonson. But <laughs> well, it's been yeah. broken down for us. Right, but, right. you know, that's uh, astute. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, it's a great thing. And then once you... And really, that opens up everything because we've got religious leaders, Christian leaders in our day saying that uh, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with politics or politics has nothing to do with the kingdom yeah. of God. And, well, all politics is moral and mm -hmm. therefore all politics is religious. And so that's very interesting. And so some of those questions were at least implied in the movie, especially as Gary begins to think maybe this really is an artificial intelligence and, and then weirdly he falls in love or well, and gets I think close towards to the that. end he kind of has a realization that he's been played in all this yeah. thing too and so he's like oh i see why i was the winner because of all these other things that have happened in my life and so right. here i am at this point because you know it's all about the the programming and this guy can see what everybody does online yeah. with whatever and he can say oh well this guy fits perfectly so let me take him right right the other ethical thing to talk about, it's the ethics of the movie itself and not so much of the plot. But, uh, And this goes by way of warning to people out there. There is, some, there is some full frontal nudity that takes place as these female robots are shown standing there naked. And, and yeah, they're supposed to be robots, but they're actually female actresses standing yeah. there naked and so that's something to be careful about especially if you're uh recovering from some kind of slavery to pornography and stuff like that and or who you're viewing it with <laughs> right right and some of the language is really sexually explicit as the bad guy blake actually starts talking in some detail about what it would be like to you know uh have relations with these robot women and stuff and, mm -hmm. and so that's just a warning something to be uh cognizant if you're considering of. watching this, yeah. <laughs> yeah and the and the thing that it drove home to me and i'm mm. not the first one to make this uh observation either but i that nudity there was nothing about it that advanced the story it, it didn't have to be there you could have you could have suggestions of that same thing you could suggest the nudity while mm -hmm. actually hiding it and stuff didn't need to be there and well and if they're robots they really didn't need to be 
skin right you know right. clothed in skin and if you're going to clothe them then clothe them in clothes <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and mm. just as a general observation i can't think of a movie i've ever seen that featured nudity where that nudity had to be there you know yeah if you don't have to show romantically involved people actually having sex if you can suggest that you could suggest actual nudity as well without without actually showing it. And so, you know, they talk about movies where the nudity is tasteful and artful and, and where it's just gratuitous. And I'm saying, unless you show it's me all. something, yeah, unless you show me something extraordinary, I, I think it's all gratuitous. It doesn't advance the plot. It doesn't need to be there. It can be suggested. And, and so that's just that. The fourth point of the covenant is sanctions and do our characters get what they deserve. Hmm. And Blake, uh, did he do anything worthy of death from a biblical standpoint? Did he? And I'm not sure that he did. Well, you know, if we go back to the whole transcendence thing and him thinking he was God and oh, behaving yeah. like he was God, right. then, yeah, maybe he did. <laughs> right. So that would be God <laughs> judging him. Mm -hmm. But I guess I'm saying I don't see that he committed a crime worthy of capital punishment is what I'm saying. Now, he did sin and, you know, all sin deserves death and God will punish all that. So... Was a cosmic injustice done when Blake met his end at the end? Of, no. no. Uh, he, yeah. He obviously got what was coming to him in an ultimate sense then. Yeah. But is it, it a, is it a twist on him thinking, I can terminate whatever I want to because I created it regardless of what that thing is? Yeah. And then having that be flipped on him and, right. you know, right. you can't do that 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 then is a immoral thing to do right. if you create this then to say yeah i'm sure that was a part of it and then also i think that humans just are fascinated with this idea of creatures rising up and destroying the god who created them you know you mm. find that in a lot of different mythologies and histories and and really, you find it in the Bible at the crucifixion of Christ where yeah. the creatures rose up and, and put the God-man to death, thinking that they were going to actually overcome him and destroy him. Yeah. And so that's kind of a trope that seems to <laughs> permeate humanity at all times. And here it is in the movie where, well, I don't want to give away stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> the creator gets overcome at the end. And so I think he got what was coming to him for sure. And then uh, I don't can't hardly talk about what happened to Gary, I guess, without giving yeah. away the movie. It didn't but seem right, though. To me, it didn't seem right. If that's really what happened, and we don't know. <laughs> right. You know, a little okay. surprising. But within the, within the presuppositions and the worldview that the movie is based on, there's no way to say that he got more or less than he deserved. You know, if we're all just machines one way or the other, then what one machine does to another machine is really kind of inconsequential. Yeah. Okay. And then, 
Well, you know, that's just kind of funny because you would say that, but the reality of people who think that, you know, they don't want things done to them. Oh, sure. You know, they don't care about how they treat other people, but, you know, you need to treat me right. And so that's just kind of humorous. You (laughs) know, that's how they want to go out and say, you know, no, it doesn't matter. Right. Well, you know, that's that's kind of the whole argument that presuppositionalists make is that atheists can't live consistently with their presuppositions. Yeah. They just can't. They don't live like atheism is true. Yeah. They live like Christianity is true while they deny it. Well, they say no. <laughs> right. Right. Mm. Okay. And then the last point of the covenant is transcendence and how the arrangement in the story, how will this be carried on? and Ava is out and about at the end of things, and but I don't see her having any ability to recreate herself, or will she die at some point? Yeah, how she'll function. I guess unless she has some kind of whammy-dine, new spanking... Uh, power system that never fails or something like that she'll eventually just run down and die but dang has a monster been unleashed on that society uh i don't know could be she doesn't seem to have what we might think of as remorse or regret her morals (laughs) what's her ethics yeah but that's consistent though because blake was a guy who really had no when it came down to it, he had no moral boundaries. He was willing to do anything to get what he was pursuing. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying before, the programmer in that situation is going to recreate inevitably is yeah. going to write his ethics into yeah. the program. Well, and I think you see that with parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Since we're talking about, uh, succession and how these things continue and and children in the Bible are generally a huge part of that. Yeah. All right. So I guess in conclusion, I would say it's a really slow movie and it tries to be thoughtful. Yeah. And sometimes it succeeds at being thoughtful, but it proceeds on presuppositions that won't allow it to actually come to any conclusions. And so kind of a mixed thing for me. I wasn't really enthusiastic about watching it, but mostly because I didn't, had never heard of it and didn't know anything about it. I think it was better than what I expected it to be. Yeah. I was thinking it was just going to be like a female Terminator. (laughs) And, and it wasn't that at least not, Maybe totally not exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Uh, would I watch it again? No, I wouldn't watch it again. <laughs> right. Would I recommend it to somebody? Probably not. You know, it's it's an okay movie. I think it has some some good parts in it, but it's not something you know I'm gonna go cheer on about or or anything like that. So right. I'd, I think I'd probably have to give it a C. Oh, yeah, that's about right. I think that's fair. That's fair. All right, so hit us up on Facebook, Worldview Media Podcast page. Uh, we're excited about getting whatever feedback we get from you guys. 
uh, we're excited about hearing suggestions about what we should watch, although there are a couple of guidelines for that and things that affect our decision. And, and one of them is practical in that we have to have a way of watching the thing. And if you're asking us to review a series that we haven't seen a single episode of, we're kind of reluctant to go back and rewatch an entire series. <laughs> and But if it's something on Netflix or Amazon Prime, uh, we'll be we'll be happy to at least look into that. But the other big rule is it has to be available. But the other big rule is it has to be something that we don't cringe when we think about watching. <laughs> <laughs> we have had some of those, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like uh, a friend of mine recommended. He he wanted. One of his recommendations was that we review the movie Avatar. You remember that? The James Cameron thing. Mm-hmm. And and I hated that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't pay me to watch it again. Yeah. You know? And uh, and there have been movies I've suggested that you don't want to see again. And yeah. I, I want to do Braveheart. And Braveheart kind of grosses you out. You know, it's a, it's a violent, long movie. And yeah, it is. It's quality, though. Yeah, so I think we'll get to that eventually, but I'm, I'm just saying as an example, it has to be a, a movie not just that we can watch, but that we all kind of are willing to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and so those are those are the considerations, but you're very welcome to suggest, and, and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, please do. Sometimes it gets really hard on us to say, uh, <laughs> what do we do now? So Yeah, and we've noticed... Netflix really doesn't have a lot of good movies. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, you guys know of one. <laughs> right, then, right. Please. But as I'm looking around, hunting feverishly for something to, for us to review, there's there's not a lot there. It's just true. All right, you got anything else? I don't think so. All right, I don't either. So God bless y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, And so we thank you. God bless you. Go out and take dominion, even in the area of arts and entertainment. Amen. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks.